oh yeah, it's, and we can't put it in the attic. It's constantly hanging around the apartment. I hate it. I didn't know you felt so strongly about yeah. that. <laughs> that was what you really feel. I was not obsessed, but very focused on performance, very focused on contracts, very focused on shiny objects. Through the passage of time, I've learned that they bring me a lot less joy and happiness than adventures, laughs with friends. Do you even know what UCI stands for? No, uh, Union Ciclista International. Whoa! Yay! <laughs> Check out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> Welcome to the Romance Cycling Podcast. My name is Anthony Walsh. Six days a week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey towards health, happiness, and longevity. Now let's get into the show. This is episode 582 of the Romance Cycling Podcast, and Sarah's back with newbie questions. Today's podcast, it's sponsored by Element. When I was on the Irish team a few years ago, we would constantly get tested for our hydration levels. Now, this was done through a urine sample in the morning and in the evening, and oh my gosh, it was difficult to hit a perfect hydration score. You see, hydration isn't just about drinking water. Having proper hydration status means having adequate fluids present in your body. This fluid balance depends on many factors, including intake and excretion of electrolytes. For us athletes, when we sweat, the primary electrolyte we lose is called sodium. Cyclists can lose up to 7 grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. I've been using elements to manage my hydration levels and I've seen huge improvements. I know that personally, if I'm hydrated, I sleep better and my energy levels are boosted. I'm in good company as Element is used by US Olympic teams, NFL, NBA and dozens of professional sports teams across the board. And you can try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. Plus, Element wants to give you a free gift with any purchase through the link drinklmnt.com forward slash roadmancycling. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash roadmancycling. I'm going to leave the link in the description below. You'll get a free Element sample pack, which includes one pack of every flavor, which is perfect for anyone who wants to try out all their flavors in one go. Sarah, welcome back to the hot seat. Thank you very much. Happy Friday, everyone. The Fridays just roll around so quick, don't they? It's amazing. Here we are again. Blink and you're 40. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I was getting messed up drinking cans of Dutch gold in the local park at 14 years old. Now here I am. The wrong side of 35. Well, the wrong side of 35. <laughs> I can, I just can't imagine you drinking Dutch gold in a park ever. <laughs> it just does not compute for me. Yeah, it was more of a peer pressure thing. Yet they're going to fit in with the cool kids. Yeah, I remember um, the peer pressure being handed beers and stuff and like feeling absolutely locked after about three sips and just sneakily pouring it out when no one was watching because I was starting to feel too out of control. <laughs> that was a while to me, wasn't it? I was a bit of a good girl. Yeah. A good girl gone bad. <laughs> what a big week. You're just home from London a couple of days ago. Yes, yeah, so I have You're massive empathy for my clients. I have some coaching clients who as part of their routine business endeavours travel back and forth to London and or anywhere else, short haul. And I give them stick like, you know, why, why did you miss 10 minutes off that 90 minute session? You missed your threshold efforts by 10 watts. Uh, oh, yesterday I 
rolled out of bed, I think around quarter past six, Sarah kindly brought me to the airport after much protesting. <laughs> he bought me back a present from London because, only because I brought him to the airport. So <laughs> it was worth it in the end. Set of socks from Look Mom No Hands. There's no jewellery there. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really a long day on your feet, traveling and to get back. The, the interesting thing with it is you don't just miss the sessions on the day you're away. Obviously, I didn't come back in until 11 o'clock last night, so I didn't get to train yesterday. But today, I'm not ready to train. I'm wrecked from traveling. So instead of doing a hard session today, I'm going to do an easy session. And then you're into your recovery ride for the weekend. So you end up just missing a good chunk of training off the back of one day. And we were chatting yesterday on the way home about how there's new studies to say that it really affects your testosterone levels. All of that traveling uh, really, really makes a massive dip in your testosterone. Yeah, I should do. I don't have it in front of me, but we should do a full podcast. And that was really interesting where he traced... uh, I'm not sure if it was WNBA or NBA players over the course of a season and they looked at testosterone levels early in NBA players because I'm not sure what the effect of testosterone on female performance. It is important, but not as important. They traced male testosterone levels at the start of the season. They were in something like the 88 percentile. And that same set of players had absolutely plummeted like north to 65% reduction in their testosterone levels as a result of, you know, it, it's multifaceted and that's why I don't want to do it injustice with just talking about for two seconds in the podcast. We might do a full podcast on it. Rate, it's uh, fatigue from playing matches, it's fatigue from sponsor engagements, but also travel fatigue was a huge part of what they put that reduction down to. Mm-hmm. How would you rate your testosterone out of 10 this morning, Anthony? I'm tired this morning. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'm, say two. I'm right out tired. <laughs> two I'm out of 10. <laughs> and the kicker, I have to go back to, well, I don't have to, but I'm going over to Roller Live next week over in London, which is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there's some cool guests speaking including headliner like Tom Boone and Fabian Cancellara, real cool lineup. That's amazing. I'll just stay here and hold down the fort while I yeah, you head yeah. off again. <laughs> How's the training going? You've been doing, tell the listeners about the hour of power. Happy hour. Been doing. Happy hour. There's nothing happy about this, is there? No, it's kind of, uh, so you're gonna, and is it next week or the week after? I've just recorded yesterday an episode with old teammate of mine. He's been a multiple repeat guest on the podcast, Ed Veal. And I needed someone, when I got back training, I needed someone to hold me accountable. So Ed's a teammate that I had so much respect for and he coaches some athletes himself. So I said, Ed, hold me accountable. So Ed has been you know, steering the ship for me in the background. But we were chatting about this idea that you can estimate one hour power of 20 minute power and you multiply 20 minute power by 0.95 and that's meant to give you one hour power. And then there's some lazy, <laughs> like sort of half... The eight minute lads. Yeah, the eight minute boys. <laughs> you can do two by eight minutes to estimate your 20 power, twenty minute power, which will then estimate your one hour power. And I can tell you now, we, we were talking about saying the happy hour, a massive, massive component of that is the mental piece of it. If you know you have to ride one hour full gas that evening, it's playing on your mind all day. If you have to do two eight-minute efforts, I'll jump up now after the podcast and do two eight-minute efforts. There's not much suffering in it. There's a bit of suffering, but it's not the same mental fatigue. This time next year, they'll be doing two, three, four-minute efforts. To estimate the eight. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So yeah, the one hour, the happy hour, as Ed calls it, is just, uh, it's a mental exercise and seeing can you get into the habit of doing difficult stuff like that. And it's not as miserable as you think on the bike because you're not going super, super deep. And now have you started uh, prescribing this for some of your athletes? Or no, is, no, no, no. no. Okay. It's, a, it's a hardcore, <laughs> <laughs> it's in development, this one is, it's beta. 
<laughs> good stuff, good stuff. We had an amazing guest this week from the Amani Project. And when I was chatting to you about it, you were saying that this could possibly be your favourite interview ever. Most important interview, I okay. think. Uh, I love chatting to Mikael from Amani Project. He's a human rights lawyer, which I think some people have a cool story, other people have a great ability to tell stories. Mikael is brilliantly articulate. His how he arrives at points and makes points, it's just very well polished from his years of legal training, unlike myself. But <laughs> the message he has, he's trying to change the face of cycling. So we have like Roger Bannister, you know, in 1951, ar- arrogantly proclaiming that's the height of human achievement, that someone will never go faster. Now you've Kenyan kids running to school faster than he'd on that minute mile. So we have that with Filippo Ghana now. We've, oh, is this the pinnacle of human achievement? It isn't its whole the pinnacle of human achievement. There's kids in these countries in East Africa that will decimate that record, but they haven't got a chance. They haven't got the infrastructure around it. Mikhail is advocating brilliantly because he's changing how we think about East Africa and East African cycling particularly. It's not Band-Aid from 1981. These like lads don't need your sympathy. They need access to opportunities. They need to be put into races and treated as peers, not throwing one token lad in saying, you know, we've thrown in this lad, we've filled the diversity quota. Yeah. These are legit athletes. And to think they can't even get into some countries because their applications to come into the countries are being assessed as if they're immigrants. They're elite athletes. Elite athletes and immigrants are not the same thing. They're, you know, one is fleeing for, you know, political reasons. The other is going to participate in a sporting event and then is going home. We surely at this point can make pathways for athletes going to compete at the highest levels in sports without having to jump through $24,000 excluding legal fees to get to the US for one athlete last year. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, everyone should go and listen to that. It's absolutely fantastic, fantastic podcast. Anthony, a couple of weeks ago after the Worlds, it's come out that Erin Atwell, the Canadian cyclist, Tell me about her. And we've had a similar experience, not quite as bad, but... It was actually a client of mine, shout out to Matt, uh, out Matt in Canada. Hey, He's a good lad. Anyone needs a bit of cooking done, Matt's your man, <laughs> top chef in Canada. Uh, Matt sent me on an article, which was really interesting, from the Canadian national team rider, Erin Atwell. And her bike was just absolutely ruined in transit home from the World Championships in Paris. Frame cracked, shifter smashed. But it just got me thinking about our experience with Iceland, Nicholas Roach losing his 51 bike, which went lost for weeks. But any cyclist who's traveling at the moment knows that fear of getting to their destination. And then you kind of sit at the baggage carousel while everyone walks off their bags and you're kind of praying to the baggage carousel lords that they'll bring out your bike. And then you're further praying to Superman or Spider-Man that it won't be broken to pieces like happened Aaron. It's just a shit situation. And, you know, you would hope the airlines can get a hold of this. It would really make me think about soft shell versus hard shell again. I always, I have a soft shell and it's just so handy. I think your hard shell is a bit of a pain in the arse to close and get together. And put and, into a beautiful car. Oh yeah, it's, and we can't put it in the attic. It's constantly hanging around the apartment. I hate it. Um, but it would kind of give me a little bit more of a you know, push towards hard shell if I was buying I the didn't bike know you made. felt so strongly about yeah. that. That's <laughs> what you really feel. The, the, as in bike bags are the one that's hanging my, around my here. One hanging around. Oh yeah, it's like, it's a big black thing. Every time I see it out of the corner of my eye, I think it's someone here to attack me. It's very imposing. Are you the one that keeps breaking them? <laughs> it's basically indestructible, but someone's having oh a good God. go of breaking it. I've had it like 10 years. 
But, I think someone hit it with a hammer or something. Yeah, but if you think about it, all that damage that was done to the bike bag the last time he flew with it, that could have been your bike if it was in a soft shell. If there's baggage handlers listening, you are making life harder <laughs> for yourselves, lads. Knocking off the handles on it's just going to make it harder to pick up. <laughs> Anthony, before we move on to newbie questions, we have a new series in the pipeline, which I think people are going to find amazing. Tell us about it. Going with a cycling CEO series of the podcast, so I'm gonna. It's gonna be just not an addition to the podcast. We're not going seven days a week. We're not that crazy, but we're gonna throw it in on one day a week for a fixed period of time, maybe ten weeks, twelve weeks. Where I'm gonna interview founders of cool cycling companies. So looking at founder of Stages, the founder of Factor Bikes, and loads of other ones. Amazing stories about how these companies got going because they're they're glitz and glam companies now, but it wasn't always that way. These were guys that scraped building stuff in their garages, you know, wheeling and dealing to sell the first bits and pieces to build brands and doing deals and guerrilla marketing. And, and now they're some of the biggest brands in the world. But I'm really excited to bring you behind the scenes and show you how they were built. Yeah, you look at these brands and you're like, oh, they've been around forever and they're so successful. But yeah, they had to start somewhere. And I know that some of these stories are going to be amazing. Okay, will we jump on in? Do newbie questions. This question came in this week and it's it's brilliant and I can certainly relate to it. Um, it's something I'm working on all of the time and it's about cadence. Okay, question. I'm 52 and overweight. I haven't ridden a bike since my 20s and I've previously been walking for exercise, but a back issue means that it's now no longer an option. So I bought a new bike to help with weight loss and start riding around. When I started riding, I knew very little about cadence. However, there did also seem to be varying comments on cadence, I guess, online. So I guess my question would be, what cadence should cyclists be aiming for at various levels, starting out weight loss, weekend rider, etc., and how gearing relates? I started out at about 65 RPM, but over the last week or two, I'm now averaging about 80 RPM. I get that cadence will improve with fitness training, but what should I be aiming for at the moment? Online articles suggest 92 100 almost as a minimum for weight loss. I don't think cadence is that relevant for weight loss. I think you're confusing cadence with intensity. Cadence is the number of times your feet are going to go around in a minute. It's measured in RPMs, rotations per minute. That's not going to affect the intensity of the ride or what heart rate zone you're in. So there is going to be correlations across over if you're trying to do 140 cadence, there's going to be a knock-on effect on your heart rate. But generally, they're two different things. So I could ride in zone two with endurance zone so for me sort of 220 to 260 watts i can ride and that intensity you don't have a parameter so i'll bring it back to heart rate if i was riding in zone two i'm like 110 beats to 125 beats i could do that at a cadence of 65 at a cadence of 75 at a cadence of 85 at a cadence of 95 at a cadence of 115 etc and still stay in that heart rate zone so heart rate is the variable you need to be manipulating if you want a different physiological response like weight loss or you want to you know build mitochondria or whatever the physiological response you want is heart rate's the variable not cadence that being said there's a sweet spot and a, a range that's most efficient for you to ride in cadence wise it's definitely not 65 i would suggest it's 80 to 90 cadence range whatever you feel comfortable in in that if you're struggling with to keep a cadence up at around 80 
it's normally a bike fit issue or a saddle issue where your saddle's too high and you're struggling to just get those rotations rather than a fitness issue. Yeah, so when I started out training with my coach, my cadence was very low. This is something I've been working on for the past kind of eight months. And I actually do cadence drills, which really help me on the indoor bike. So really, really high cadence for a couple of minutes and then a much lower cadence. And I'm very conscious about keeping my cadence at a certain level now when I'm out and about. Anthony, why is it important to cycle at 85 to 95 RPM, what are the benefits? I think if you're pushing and mashing a big gear all the time, the load on your body is quite muscular. It's like going to the gym and squatting. And if you think about the pedal stroke, should be 360 degrees smooth all the way around the pedal stroke with an even application of force all the way around. That's why we do one-legged drills sometimes to teach us to push all the way around the pedal stroke. Because when we're not doing one-legged drills, we have a tendency to push down with our quad on the left, push down with our quad on the right, and it becomes very muscular. And that's typical happen typically happens at lower cadences. When you move to higher cadences, like 80 plus, the load is dispersed more between your muscular system and your cardiovascular system. So your heart rate is going up a little bit and it's not just muscular fatigue. Because if you're muscling it through a session, that's going to have a very limited shelf life. Yeah, your, your muscles are going to get fatigued quicker than your heart and your lungs. Your heart and lungs will go essentially until the day you die where your muscles and your legs will give up a lot quicker. Yeah, so high RPM, everyone. It's I, I think it's better for um, keeping you stable on the bike and also for reducing injuries and things like that as well. I feel a lot more comfortable on the bike now that I've upped my RPM. Anthony, second question. Hi, Anthony and Sarah. Love the show. And Sarah has inspired my wife to finally join me cycling, which I've been pestering her to do for years. Good stuff. We've been listening to the podcast for a few months and we're almost through the back catalogue. My question to you is for my wife, what do you wish you knew when you started cycling that you know now? I don't know if this answer is going to help your wife at all, but I was thinking about this the other day and I was chatting to Sarah about it. And one of the things at the start of the journey that I didn't know that I know now is I was not obsessed, but very focused on performance, very focused on contracts, very focused on shiny objects like new bikes and new wheels. And through the passage of time, I've learned that they bring me a lot less joy and happiness than adventures, laughs with friends, getting out exploring, the, the crack in the coffee shop. That's what it's about. The journey and the friendships and the stories that you have along the way is really the magic of cycling. It's never to cross in the finish line with your hands in the air. It's never to get in the contract. It's never to bind a new bike. Sure, there are some tools that let you have these experiences, but enjoy the process along the way. Yeah, I agree. I think if you've got, let's say you want to upgrade your wheels, you've got two grand to spend, don't. And maybe book a cycling holiday or something and go and experience somewhere completely different. That would also be my advice as well. Okay, let's move on to tech. Last week we spoke about the Bianchi Ultra RC and you were laughing at me because I was saying at the front of this bike they have this new technology that looks kind of like gills. Fish gills. Fish gills where the air passes through them and it makes the bike more aerodynamic. Now I did call it and I was like, I don't think the UCI are going to like this. Well, I think the UCI all. were listening to your podcast and you've become <laughs> such an authority on gills in the sport. The UCI don't like me because I give out about them constantly. But they have now come out with a statement, Anthony. 
you uh, flagged this for me to basically say that this technology will not be allowed to be used inside UCI sanctioned events. Yeah, it's gone. Do you even know what UCI stands for? No, uh, Union Cicleste International. Whoa! Yay! <laughs> Check out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> so the statement, or basically the article says that protective screens, fuselages, there's a difficult word on fuselages. it. Fuselages. Fuselages. <laughs> Fairings or any other device. Wow, that's quite um, <laughs> quite broad. Fairings or any other device that is added or blended into the structure and that is destined or have the effect of reducing resistance to air penetration are prohibited. So that would fall under that. It would indeed. So if you're planning on doing any racing with DCI, the Bianchi is out. The new Bianchi is out. Bit of a hit for them, I would say, but most of racing these days is non-UCI, so I don't know. They definitely knew when they were designing that 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 wasn't going to be UCI compliant. There's no way they thought that was going to get uh, through. You would imagine there's some sort of consultative process that happens before it. But I was only talking to somebody inside the industry who was well-placed in the industry and designs a lot of bikes recently. And he was talking about the difference between the big manufacturers and manufacturers who actually, you know, care about aerodynamics. He said, you'll see a big brand, uh, you know, we'll say a, a brand like a Fuji, and they'll go to the wind tunnel and they'll put a picture on their social media saying, just testing the new Fuji. But the bike will be fully complete in the wind tunnel with the paint job done and everything. Mm. So he's like, well, the bike's completed. So what are you testing? Like if the test comes back bad, like what are you going to do? Just not tell anyone? Like, cause you, Well, they probably won't. <laughs> you've left it too late to change anything. When the, when the important brands that are leading innovation in this space go into the wind tunnel, they go in with bikes that are, you know, very much in the early stages of development where there's, they're still very raw, unpainted, bits of carbon all over the place and they're bringing them in and they're adding stuff and they're taking stuff away and they're genuinely testing. They're not just going in and throwing a bike up and going... Right, fingers crossed this one works. Yeah, I think this Bianchi is aimed at leisure cyclists and people who don't race and people who want that, you know, they kind of really want to really geek out on aerodynamics, um, you know, and have money to throw at it. Sarah, thanks for joining me for another week on Newbie Questions. I'll be back tomorrow. Look forward to it. (laughs) See y'all, ride safe. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.